Hey, New Time Religion, Andrew and Derek, thanks for taking my call. Uh, my name is Kevin Makins, and I'm a pastor in Hamilton, Ontario, in Canada. And I wanted to ask a question about church building. A uh, report by the Canadian Broadcasting Company uh, a couple of months ago said that in the next decade, Canadians are set to close one-third of our sacred buildings, about 9,000 buildings across the country. And as a pastor and a church planter, uh, I wonder about what that means for us. What's the relationship between the church uh, and buildings, especially in kind of the post-Christian and secular culture that I think we in Canada have been in maybe a little bit longer even than Americans? Uh, we recently bought a church building and have recognized that that comes with some significant uh, positives, having an old church building, but also some challenges, and we're trying to figure out the sustainability of that, not only for our own congregation, but other churches as we help other plants uh, get started and other congregations grow, revitalize. Should we keep building? Should we sell them? And what are the implications in a secular age for that? We'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks so much for your time. Grace and peace. So yeah, so that was uh, that was a question from Kevin Makins. Uh, and by the way, Kevin, I know you called us like in February, and that just kind of shows you on the timeline that we run around here on New Time Religion. Uh, if you <laughs> call us and leave us a question, we'll answer it in about nine to ten months. So uh, we are on top of it. We are. So if you're listening out there and have a burning question, we'll answer it for you in 2022. Just, but <laughs> just, just give us 24 months. Just give us 24 months. But there's a though, pandemic. You can blame everything on the pandemic. Yeah, we though. can blame the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, in fact, well, that's what we'll do. It was because of the pandemic. Um, but anyway, I thought Kevin brought up a really interesting point. Um, and, you know, we're here in Minnesota, so we're starting to see some of this. But my understanding is that in the great white north of Canada, they've they've really seen this sort of decline more. Maybe it seems like it's gone quicker or something. They have all these empty buildings. And, you know, he's basically asking what the benefits are of having a physical location and some of those resources or did you do you have any thoughts on on his question well it's interesting because i mean we kind of made a joke about the pandemic but that's become a big issue you know like um for instance at, at cara my wife's little church they just had like a congregational vote that said i mean like there it was up for debate like should we keep our building should we hold on to our building and then the great irony of this time is that they made a congregational vote that absolutely they should hold on to the, the building. And then they haven't been back in it for seven months. You know what I mean? And, like, de facto, they're forced to not be in a building at all. And so as everything in our world has become politicized, you know, the heat on this has, has slowed down a little bit or, I guess, been turned down a little bit. But, uh, you know, for a while there, it was it was a huge deal. Like, what is the church? And we need to get back in buildings. And as uh, you know, it got politicized here. So there is a there is a big theological question there. So I don't know. I mean, it's it's an interesting thing because I think it's too simple just to say buildings don't matter. I mean, if we kind of have a certain theological anthropology that says that we are that we are bodies that we that that you can't kind of disconnect the human experience from bodies bodies always need to be in a place and so buildings i think do in some sense really matter and then in the other sense they can become idolatry too i think you know like they can become they can become the manifestation of in some sense like negative religion where the thing that holds or the thing that matters is the building itself. But at another level, there could be a, a, a certain kind of disembodiedness that, and we're kind of seeing this with Zoom, like there's certain ways that Zoom just doesn't 
I don't know, maybe I'm just making a confession for myself, but there's a certain uh, way that Zoom just doesn't satisfy. You know, like it 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 has this kind of utilitarian operation that that is good i guess it's it's kept the economy going it's allowed meetings to keep going it's allowed schools like mine to stay open and uh you know to, to exist in, in in many ways even through this pandemic and so i guess no one should be angry with zoom but i don't know my feeling is like after an hour like only an hour of it i'm I'm toast because you get all the suckiness of meetings, but none of the, like the human spirit of meetings, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, uh, it would be really hard to kind of think like, well, buildings don't matter because all we are in some sense, what zoom does, it doesn't mean to do this, but in some sense it kind of, we are functionally just vats and brains and vats through zoom. You know what I mean? Like you, this sounds really weird to say, but it's like you don't smell each other and you, you don't get the nuance of being in the room and you don't really get like the spirit of the person, you know, like you, you get all the information, I guess, and you get some nonverbals, but you don't get, it's not an HD, if that makes sense. Like it's not, yeah. it's not embodied. question that always haunts me is what's God's action in the midst of that? Mm-hmm. Like it's really hard to break out of that understanding that God's action is tied up with that idea of resources and accumulating and growing and, yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So when that church turns into a, you know, a Chili's, mm-hmm. uh, where, I mean, where Boston can you find, Pizza in or, Canada. What is it? We could say Boston Pizza. Boston in Pizza? Yeah. I've never been to a Boston Pizza. I think I've pizza. eaten at a Boston Pizza in Hamilton. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, okay, so can let's we say, get Boston Pizza to sponsor us? Yeah, please. <laughs> uh, but, like, when it turns into a Boston Pizza, like, is, is God's action still, can it still be in that building? Or, or, Where's, where's God's action in the midst of all that? So one of the, one of, I think the way we've interpreted the crisis for the last maybe a couple decades, is that we've really believed that Protestantism now is in a crisis of relevance. That it just, and again, I think this is a wrong interpretation. I think this is a secular two interpretation. That the issue that it particularly mainline churches, particularly mainline churches in Canada, but for sure in America too, is that the issue is relevance. And the reason that conservative Protestant communities, evangelical communities have done better, put that in air quotes, is because they're more relevant. They just are more relevant. They're better at using modern media. They're, um, their pastors are better looking, <laughs> which is a joke. We said it before we started recording here. Uh, but they just seem more relevant. And so we, we, we see that as a crisis of relevance. Well, what's the response to a crisis of relevance? Or how do you fix a crisis of relevance? And it feels like the way you do it is you try to create the leverage to win resources. If, if you can have resources, especially at kind of the institutional church level, then you can ward off the crisis of relevance, you know, because you'll, you'll have the economic advantage or you'll, you'll have, if every human being is an individual who's making value judgments, you know, like, should I go to church or should I not? Should I call myself a religious person or should I, should I not? Should I, you know, prepare my fantasy football team on Sunday morning or should I go to a church? And if they're making these value judgments, they're going to go to the ones that has more relevance. It seems more relevant. That has more value. It becomes a kind of consumer choice. 
But I just think I think that we've misinterpreted that, and I think Taylor's perspective is helpful in getting at this. And some of the commentators, like Hartmont Rosa and others, I think help at least help me have an imagination to see a different kind of crisis here, um, which wheels us all the way back into thinking of bil- buildings again. Is that the crisis isn't a crisis of relevance because then we can look at the Chili's or the Boston Pizza that's become of the church building, or even more likely, like the non-chain cool or the very like low uh the the kind of not expressed chain of microbrews you know what i mean it's like that restaurant that's not a franchise but they do have four restaurants in your town right 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 or they may have a unique name but if you look who owns them they own like you know a ton of like you could go there and put it on your instagram page and not get made fun of. that's right yes yeah and and so uh I don't even know where we were going there. But, you know, so so that, that one of the things that we look at that and we envy about that is it seems so much more relevant than our church. You know what I mean? And then, and then you're in this crazy battle. But I think the crisis we're in is a legitimate crisis is that it is not a crisis of relevance, but it is a crisis of resonance, of this kind of sense of the world speaking to us again, of a living God who speaks to us, of a, of a sense of being beckoned into a good life that is imbued with transcendence and meaning. And that's really, that's, that's really the crisis we're under, is that our religious institutions keep chasing relevance and resources and resources through relevance, and what we really need are, are these, this deeper sense of resonance. And to me, that's where buildings become really powerful and beautiful things, is when we recognize that they're haunted by these experiences of resonance of baptisms and funerals and, and all these experiences of people sharing deeply in each other's lives that that is like a family house and all the Christmases spent within it and all those experiences. Like, you, you can't just call a house. Like, there's a difference between a house and a home. What this totally reminds me of is that episode of The Office where Dunder Mifflin Corporate, that's the paper company they all work for, yeah. they're, they're downsizing their branches. And so what they have to do is they have to call all the regional managers into the, the big uh, office building in New York and they want a presentation. Do you remember this episode? I, I, yes. I actually use, I think, this clip where okay. you're going. So maybe, maybe we're on the same way yeah, yes. here, but I was totally thinking of this as you were talking. So all the other branch managers are like, well, here's the presentation. We've uh, increased chart, our profit percentage margin by 20% marks, yes, right. this year. Yes, we have client yeah. retention, all stuff. Well, then Michael Scott comes up and he's created this video that's almost like an infomercial. It's called a Michael Scott Joint. A Michael joint. Scott Joint <laughs> production. But basically, he just goes around and shows all of the workers yeah. in his office yeah, yeah. and the relationships that they have and why they're special yeah. to him. And right. like for that meeting, the tone is just super inappropriate. Right. But he's totally going for that relationship piece and right. the resonance piece. Yeah. What keeps what should keep the for him, and this is what's so interesting about our culture, because Michael Scott is a doof. No one wants to work for Michael Scott. But at another level, Michael has a different kind of sense. Like, like let's go with this. Like a different sense of what's the good life and what does it mean to even work a good job. And it's really funny, not because Michael's wrong, actually. It's really funny because the whole cultural stream is a different direction. So corporate's asking. Does your branch have the resources? Is it re- is it relevant to us with its customer base to stay to stay open? My dog is all over you right now. Um, she loves theological philosophical ideas. She just comes running. Um, but what Michael really cares about is resonance. So he talks about the persons and what's it like. To- 
<laughs> to walk a, to, to try on Phyllis's pants. That's my favorite line of that. And what's it like <laughs> to walk a walk a day in Oscar shoes and things like that? So, I mean, I think one of the things about not getting stuck in the rut then of relevance resources and resonance is that I think once we start moving towards resonance, there opens up or we're pulled into this deeper kind of theological perspective. You know what I mean? Like it it starts to take us at least into the rhetoric, into the imagination that's, that's deeper than I think just that. And so, um, I think that becomes important and it can open up deeper, deeper questions. So yeah, what to do, do with these churches? I mean, yeah. I mean, in some sense you could ask, well, what is God up to? Um, But that's, I mean, I think that's, you know, that's a whole nother podcast, but that's a question we have to ask, but it's also quite a scary question too. Um, Not to be like too reformed Protestant-y, but to ask the question, what is God up to is actually to, to beckon into, to lean into judgment. Like, what is God up to is um, to get really crass like Calvin or Luther, say God is killing so God can make alive, which is very not good for our, like, late modern sensibilities. It feels violent and crazy, and those were kind of coming out of medieval people. But the idea, of course, is that God, God's grace is a judgment that brings back to life, that God's grace is a release that says no, that says no, this isn't, this isn't this isn't the way to live or this isn't necessary or this isn't who you are and that killing that saying to know um, God also imbues with new life God comes near um, and, and and brings us close so to ask the question what has God up to um, is is a is a big question well it takes you to an interesting spot too because maybe that church that was dying or died, you just had people that would show up and weren't actually engaging in relationships. And now all of a sudden you have this bar. Yeah. If you have two friends that are having meaningful right. residence over Buffalo Wings, who's to say that God isn't active in that? And right, it just exactly. brings you to an interesting right. place. You know? Well, and I think that's usually when we envy the, the bar um, or the pub is that we envy it because we have this kind of recognition that people are having residence experiences in it and they've stopped having those in that church, you know. Um, but it's a big question. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't sell the church to the corporation that turns it into the the hipster pub, um, the denomination or whoever's responsible for that building has to decide what will revive it. And I think this is part of Kevin's question about a church planter. And the question is, what will revive it? We usually, almost always, like nine out of ten times, nine point nine percent of times, think some kind of relevant programming some kind of relevant pastor, some kind of relevance will will bring this church back to life. And my hunch is no, that one re- relevance will only lead to burnout. Like the chasing of relevance will only lead to burnout and lead to kind of a level of depression. What will bring back life, um, I mean, maybe, maybe relevance will bring back numbers and you'll have to define that completely as life. But I think life is a bigger reality, and it's something that we should wish for for that church. But what will bring back life is actually resonance. That resonance is a form of action that is that is an experience of life. It's a form of, of relationship and connection that actually gives us a feeling, but even more than a feeling, it gives us a kind of a sense of affection that 
feels like life, you know? And it is um, it is dialectical in the sense that it is resonance can be an experience of suffering that never li- nevertheless gives life, you know? So when you have a resonant experience with a film, you can be crying and come out of it just so sad. And someone could ask, what was that like? What do you think of the movie? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Because what you're saying is that you feel connected to something, that you feel called out, you feel spoken to, you feel connected to something bigger than you. And to me, that becomes the issue. And that becomes the issue for Protestantism and late modernity, is how do we formulate communities in forms of practice that invite people into resonance? And how do we then help name that for them and help them discern how the living God, how the very revelation of Jesus Christ um, is present in the midst of those resonant experiences. I mean, the hunch is that the resonant experiences are a deep experience of, of revelation. You would say the best medium for that to happen is in a relationship, though, right? And the reason I ask that is I think I've been a part of experiences in churches, both the ones that I've led but also growing up, where conditions were almost manufactured to sort of get an emotional reaction. Like I think about, you know, at Bible camp sometimes, the last night you'd have that really like in-depth talk about Jesus and then you'd go through like how horrible the crucifixion was and you'd turn down the lights and you'd play music or like on a mission trip sometimes that very last night everyone's just so exhausted and you do the foot washing and then everybody's crying and again I'm not downplaying that but I guess what I'm asking is how do you know when something is an authentic no pun intended talking about Taylor's worth but how do you know when something's an authentic resonant experience as opposed to just sort of a manufactured one? Or is it just so subjective no one can answer that no, for you? No, it, it can't be so subjective that no one can answer it. So for Rosa, the way that you define resonance is is kind of through four things, but it's even bigger than this. So like the experience that you just mentioned of being at camp, we've all anyone who spent any time with any middle schoolers doing any ministry, especially camp, where like you talk about Jesus' crucifixion and him suffering for us, and it, it, let's just be really like honest. It is not hard to make seventh and eighth graders cry, especially if they're sleep deprived. If they're sleep deprived, and, and if you can talk about missing reje- mom and dad a little bit by the end of the week, and, and, and they've had a couple of romances that have have not have yeah. flared out. Yep, yep. And then if you can just talk about rejection enough, like that will bring the tears. But we've also had the experience of the like the major camp cry fest, and then forty five minutes later, like the little gift shop uh snack shop opens up and everyone's out there it's canteen time it's canteen time and everyone's swearing and everyone's you know <laughs> and you think like they just had some kind of transformational moment yeah. and so what's happened there i think is that clearly that talk triggered emotion but it didn't it, so it gave them emotion towards the cross say um they have emotion towards it they feel bad that jesus died. they even feel like it connects to them somehow but it did not move them towards affection they didn't fall in love with the cross. And so resonance has emotion. It is definitely um, emotional, but it is not at the end of the day just a kind of a Hillsong um, cry fest worship experience. No, no hate on Hillsong at all. There's part of that that could feel like resonance, but it also has to lead to a sense of affection where, you, where you're moved in, in a desire to love this thing. Um, 
so that's th- those two things are really important. But the so and that takes that sometimes takes more that takes more time and slower time to lead towards affection. You often don't just get that with a fifteen minute talk, a great couple stories, and an altar call. You you there's a process of of discipleship of learning what it means to love this to love this story or to love this person in this story and and what it means to feel what it means to experience love by this person. So there's both emotion and affection within that, which is often also what what doesn't necessarily usually when even when you meet a friend at the pub right like you can have an emotional experience of feeling heard or telling your friend that the test came back and you have cancer and you'll never forget that place and in some ways that place will become a holy place or if you were the one who told and then you lived with your friend for three years as he battled cancer then he died you may go back every year of his death day and have a beer at that place and this building may mean something to you because of that and that's really significant um but usually usually except my story maybe actually makes it bigger than that but usually what you feel about that that building that chain that restaurant is you feel motion towards it but you tend not to love it you know what i mean like you tend not to love it. But a church building is a little different. Like, you can actually learn to love this building because of the emotional experiences that happen in it, but also because somehow your own story, and in, in it, it has a deeper connection, we might say, kind of following Taylor. Outside of the 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 restaurant, the church building, because, dare I say, because it's not a consumer building, can lead to a deeper kind of sense of strong evaluation, as he would say, where I evaluate it as meaning more. That it becomes a moral space that's good, that gives goods to my life, um, that 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 moves me into affection towards it. We tend not to think of uh, was it Boston Pizza? Yeah, Boston Pizza or Chili's. It's not like you'd say they're a force for good in the world. It's just it's just a restaurant that you can go to. Yeah, except that these corporations now want to show that they're charitable. Good, you know, like they yeah, they, they yeah, want they yeah. want to they want to take a little bite out of that. But um, but that usually is true. Like you 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 would might go back into that Boston Pizza and think I. I proposed to my wife there, which you are a really lame romantic if you if you um, proposed to your wife at a booth at Boston Pizza. Good pizza, huge menu, but you that's not the place to propose. And all the bad reviews we get because of the people listening right now that did just that, I'm going to send them to you. <laughs> but yeah, but you, I mean, okay, we'll put it in American context. If you proposed at Pizza Hut, and Boston Pizza is way better than Pizza Hut. <laughs> but if you propose at Pizza Hut, you you have a problem. But my my sense is that um, you would feel emotion going back into it, but you wouldn't you wouldn't have a certain strong evaluation about the place itself. If that right. Makes sense. So if that Boston Pizza went out of business someday, you're not going to mourn it because that was the place where you proposed. Whereas if your church closes, there is a mourning process that. It's a more of a moral space yeah, that that yeah. that wraps you up. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you often don't think like outside of like what we said, like Boston Pizza's charitable desires. We tend not to think like Boston Pizza, like well, you said like is a force for good in the world. But we tend not to think being in the place is imbued with goodness in itself. Yeah. And the actions that take place in here are always for a reality bigger than itself that is for something good. So the other two elements of resonance that should be mentioned, and maybe I won't 
talk so long. But that while there's there's both emotion and affection, and this is I think a very interesting as we think about buildings too, is that there's there's also a sense that resonance. Now to say this, resonance is not a feeling. It's a it's a mode of action. It's a mode of action, which is kind of your point. Like, well, I know my church. Like, we, how, how do you think about relationships here? Because in many ways, like, my church used to use relationships for this. And this is, like, my project since the beginning, since I first met you, um, has not changed, you know. Um, I think we've said this on the podcast before, too. Like, there are two kinds of thinkers in the world, you know. Um, Hedgehogs and... Uh the foxes? The foxes, yeah. And, the, and I'm a hedgehog. So these are the same. you're just obsessed with one idea. Your major one life. idea. Yep. I always, everything spins around. And the edifice of all my thinking just almost always comes back to this kind of one thought. And at the core of that is this sense of what relationships are for, which is often the way we've thought of relationships in ministry as for winning relevance, which wins resources because you win participants as opposed to as opposed to thinking about relationships as an experience of resonance but that means a couple things that resonance is transformational that it's it, it when you have a resonance experience you feel changed but the other piece that's so huge about this and is so hard for north american protestants particularly americans is that a resonance is also elusive you cannot control it it escapes and it's, you cannot create a program to get to resonance. Now, we said we need to work on thinking about practices. We, we, we can take on certain practices and imaginations that help us think about our action. But just because you even take on those imaginations and those practices and those ways of even thinking and talking doesn't mean that you can deliver resonance. Resonance is a more of an event. It comes upon you, um, which is why buildings of resonance are so powerful because behold something happened here and you tend you can again you can think that at a boston pizza where you where you got proposed you you proposed your wife and if it gets and if it gets torn down you'll think man i wanted to take my kids there i wanted to sit in that booth um and and say this is where pathetically mom and dad or dad asked mom to marry um, Actually, for my parents, they met because they were both workers at a Shakey's Pizza. Yeah, and uh, that that is now gone in in uh, the town that I grew up in. But we had a wedding this last weekend. And I took my kids by that building, which is now like an apartment building, and said, yeah. "Hey, that's where your grandparents met." Yeah. So there's so, something to that. There's still but, something to it. Um, but we we tend not to think um, some elusive reality showed up there. You know, yeah. which is exactly what we think within within the church, like something that we cannot control occurred there now again if your friend confesses to you or tells you that they're dying of cancer and your last meal together was there it may feel like something elusive happened or more than proposed if you're you're on a date at some restaurant and the person you're with says that i love you like that could be a moment where you feel like in a loose deep elusive sense of resonance came upon you and that place now becomes holy to you um, yep. So it's not saying that it can happen, but um, there's just that, and I don't know if Hartman Rosa would go here, but to me that spontaneity almost sounds like a work of the Holy Spirit. It yeah, just, it comes and goes and shows up when you least expect it. Absolutely, and, Rosa would not go there um, because that's just not his field. But it's it's so ripe for that kind of thought, and it's uh, yeah, and it's so deeply connected, I think, to how Bart 
Karl Barth thinks about revelation too, that it's an elusive thing that comes out of non-givenness, not givenness, that you, you can't control it. Um, and again, relevance and resources are controllable assets. Resonance is not. And so this becomes a, just a different frame to think about what a congregation's for and what it's a pastor's for if it's about resonance and not somehow finding controllable assets to win relevance and resources. New Time Religion featuring Dr. Andy Root is produced by me, Derek Tronsgaard. You can check out Andy's latest book, The End of Youth Ministry, available now that touches on many of the themes that we talk about in the podcast. New Time Religion is a production of the Alter Guild Podcast Network, and you can check them out at alterguild.org. That's A-L-T-E-R guild.org for more great shows. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time for another round of New Time Religion.